Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director of Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool, for all things tax, trust, pensions, and much, much more. Today, we're going to do something different. We're going to look at something in a slightly different way. Across the profession, there are many people going beyond diploma and even going beyond chartered. Several universities have master's qualifications and students have undertaken significant research. Our interview today explores some of that research, its findings, but also the journey that it took to get that research. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Adam Johnson, who completed his dissertation in 2021. Hello, Adam. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Eddie. I'm really good. And I'm looking forward to sort of sharing some of my experience with you today. It's been a, I was really pleased to have got through and got the result this over the summer. And it's quite nice to have a time now to reflect back on what we did. It's really kind of you, isn't it, to um, to share to share your uh, your journey with us, and also you were you were kind enough to 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 send me a copy of of your research in advance, so I had a chance to to go through it. I I obviously noticed that you were focusing on vulnerable consumers in financial services, uh, so I'm curious, um, how did you get to decide to do that research? Well, for those that know some of my background in financial services, it's been an area I've been professionally interested in. Uh, On a personal note, I was a live-in carer for my own grandmother for 10 years of her life. So something personal to me as well. And I think during my time in financial services, the problem I wanted to address has been something that's been bubbling away um, at me for some time. And I think there's been this constant sort of tension or question I've been wanting to explore. And the masters gave me an opportunity to really get under the skin. And that was with vulnerable clients, we've got as an industry, particularly over the last sort of five years, much better at identifying the different ways in which somebody might be vulnerable. What has always then left me as was an unsatisfactory answer is the and what. We're now good at spotting that somebody that is recently bereaved we need to be a bit more sensitive about their financial planning. They're going to be, they're potentially going to be more vulnerable. But the the extent of, well, what does it actually mean in their decision-making has always left me sort of a question I wanted to get under the skin of, because I think it gets to the heart of some of the issues we have with our clients going forward, but how we make sure that vulnerable clients are better understood and not left behind. They have a voice in financial services and probably a bunch that otherwise their voice is the easiest to overlook. So, so obviously that was the the why. So, what 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 were the key findings from your research? Okay, I guess the key findings were that there is this end gap between a driver for vulnerability and its impact. But the helpful, I think, the most crucial part of the findings was that there are ways we can look at the um, client's decision making, their judgment. And we can look at the type of judgments they're asked to make when they engage with financial service providers and get to a, put a tool in place or help us unpack not whether or not they are vulnerable, but to what degree is that vulnerability impacting their judgment for the decision they're being asked to make? So be it, should I or shouldn't I invest in an ISA or a discounted gift trust? 
understanding these are quite different types of conversation and the way that vulnerability in, um, or the drivers of that vulnerability are interacting with their, their own decision-making and the context of the advice. We can build something, and the research helped, to, helped sort of deliver me to a point of being able to build something that starts as a tool to unpack that as a way of un- helping vulnerable clients retain that voice rather than simply they have the label, I am or I am not vulnerable, or a label we are being asked to put on them in financial services terms. A way of saying, well, okay, I may be relatively more vulnerable than somebody else, but in this particular context, here's how and why I can make, I'm being supported to make these decisions in this context. I think it's that last bit in this context that the research was really helpful at because it put that bridge between a decision being made and the context of that decision. I think we all recognize in financial services, there are different types of decisions that are more risky, more challenging than others. So in extreme, a decision to do a defined benefit pension transfer clearly has a lot of risk attached to it and it's irrevocable. It's a one-way ticket. And so understanding the the nuance between somebody making those types of decisions might require a different standard or different test to somebody who is making decision to switch between a bank account A and bank account B is clearly quite different. And I know that some of that seems self-explanatory, but the tool and the research helped, the, the tool that I built from the back of the research that I conducted helped me find a sort of consistent way of articulating where somebody might sit on that journey for a given decision. Yeah, that's quite a long way of explaining that, but I don't think I can, unpick, I'm trying to think how I'd unpick that in a more succinct way. I guess when you spend forever 15,000 words writing something, you suddenly discover the problem is more complicated than when you started out on the journey. <laughs> so it must have been as you, as you were digging deeper into the subject, you were, you were uncovering things and and, and and I understand um, you have to do a, a, a literature review within your your research, which is looking at um, you know theories and, and 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 other pieces of research. So so as you did that and you're looking broader, what what did you what did you discover from that analysis? <laughs> well, the, the stunting bit was the problem was bigger and broader and more complicated than I think I'd imagined. I think for anyone going through a master's study program, I'm I'm sure I'm sort of preaching to that that converted bunch that whatever we thought the problem was, as soon as we started doing the literature review, we discovered we were only scratching the surface. And whilst my literature review was fantastic, I really enjoyed doing it. You did have that sense that there were so many threads you could have kept on pulling and gone further and further along with that, that it was quite overwhelming at times, the sheer scope of what I didn't, didn't even know I didn't know. Um, but it was, it, it was also interesting to see where, in an academic sense, research has or hasn't been. The gaps and omissions in research and financial services in the UK particularly was quite startling in, on the questions of capacity. We had lots of interesting papers and stuff looking at mental capacity in terms of social care and social health policies. And lots of the law, what we didn't necessarily have is a great deal of academic research looking specifically at the way capacity impacts and intersects with financial service decisions. There was plenty in other jurisdictions, so I noted that I used quite a bit of work based on some Australian research and some US research. But I was quite interesting seeing the patchwork of where previous knowledge had been and previous research had already been it was it was a great journey but I say the humbling part was realizing the entire scope of my journey 
and how, what, a, what a small sort of tiny little imprint I can make within the confines of the Masters. Um, that, as I say, humbling experience. And and um, so your own research, so that was obviously what you looked at outside. So your own research was um, was interviews, I believe. And and um, so I suppose so I suppose the. Um, the, the real question is, how do they go? What what was it like doing those interviews? And 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 did you get what you actually expected? God, that's really interesting. I guess as a financial advisor, and I've been, crikey, um, in financial advice for the best part of 20 years now, at one level, you kind of go, well, I do interviews all the time. I speak to my clients. Is kind of, I, I should be really good at this. And I think I went into the first few with that that sort of slightly well, I'm bound. You know, this is this is just like going to work. Quickly to discover that it isn't like doing my day job, <laughs> and so it was okay. I, I used semi-structured interviews, so I had lots of prompts to try and keep me on track. But a bit like the literature review, it was kind of like you're pulling down lots of sort of you're pulling a thread, and you keep pulling the thread with somebody. And you suddenly discover you've gone way off course, but importantly, you follow an important thread, only to have to go back in and then sort of pull in a different direction. I found that the amount of time it took me to do the interviews was considerably longer than I thought they were going to be. Um, that what I thought was a really, what I thought that was a kind of nerdy niche question that was inside a concern I had was really amazing with my, the people I interviewed their passion for exploring the problem and their their own concerns and understanding of how we try and find a solution. There was a willingness to participate in the research and an enthusiasm of finding a way forwards. And I think that was really, um, in some respects, in those dark days in the middle of the winter when you're sort of staring at a blank page, it was the enthusiasm of my participants that really helped drive me further forwards. I think, well, actually, the bit when you set out on this journey um, that probably somewhere is in the back of your mind, I'd like it to be, but isn't really important. It's that sort of idea that, is it worthy? There's ideas that, do I care about the project? And there's ideas that, does it bring anything in terms of, does it move the academic dial on? But there's this little thing is, is it worthy? Is, is, there, is there any point to it? And that bit, I think I undervalued when I went started, the, certainly the interview process. And by going through each of those, sort of each person I interviewed, it was like a little boost on that little question, a little nudge to say, you know what, we really care about this and we want to we want to help find a solution and we want to participate as best we can because actually a solution matters to us as well. And I think that was really rewarding. And um, as, as, I, as I was reading your uh, your research, you, you, one of your things you were obviously trying to do was to develop um, a, a, a judgment tool for financial advisors. Uh, could, you, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think what I wanted to try and do with, with the sort of client decision tool, the judgment tool, was pull together the research into something that made, that made a useful approach or a useful way of sort of framing the question of not is, is a client vulnerable or not, but the extent that vulnerability is impacting their decision. And I think the research allowed me to identify lots of er- the areas that go to the, the major areas that go to influence that. And building the client judgment tool was really a way of pulling all of the different threads together to give us a, a condensing it into something that's meaningful, practical, and useful. So taking all the academic research and the research that was done and turning it into an output where we can say, okay, then, if I've got a client in these circumstances, there is now a repeatable um, method that one can use to identify 
the way their vulnerability is impacting their their decision making around the questions of sort of capacity and and all the judgment and way it might impact their judgments. And it captures also the extent that the decision they're making and the context of the decision they're making in the financial planning sense um, is more or less risky as a consequence of their vulnerability. And so it gives us ultimately a sort of, for want of a better term, a way of quite ranking, but comparing relative clients making relative decisions, um, but different types of decisions. So for example, has my recently bereaved client A making a decision about a ISA transfer, is that a more or less of a problem than my second client recently bereaved making a decision about investing in a, I don't know, into a pension? And we can start to sort of understand and then from having the judgment tool then allows us to write policy around that to make sure we find a way to make sure that clients are protected and their voices heard and we haven't got to defer to third parties at the first sign of trouble, but and find a way to keep clients' voice and their own self-determination, their own views heard at the forefront without sort of finding we have to just back down to, we're just, you know, we, we've decided and identified these people are vulnerable and therefore we can't, we need to find someone else to help them because that, that misses the point. Being vulnerable doesn't mean you lose your voice and we need to make, and it, I think the tool was that way of bringing that all together to give us a platform for future researchers and for future uh, and for financial services and industry to have a way of codifying and saying, well, okay, here's how we can sort of talk about vulnerability and its impacts. So we can now design lasting and sensible policy decisions around that. And that was, I guess, the useful part of the output of the tool. That's the, the purpose of the tool ultimately. And, and and obviously that that sounds really interesting. And I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna try and develop it further as 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 you. Uh, uh, use it within your within your uh, business. Um, now, some of the people listening o- on this podcast are going to be thinking, "Should I be doing a master's? Is is this is this for me?" Um, what what three tips of your experience now would you would you share with 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 the listeners? I, have to do, I mean, I, I guess that's, in 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 answer to that, there's almost two parts to that. Should you? Shouldn't you? You need to decide for yourself. This is not going unlike practical knowledge in things like the route to chartered this is much more sort of theoretical knowledge and so really i'm really helpful and interesting but it's not going to directly say well okay i can do this thing differently i've got a new license or i'm going to have a better understanding of how a trust works what it might be so firstly understand that this type of knowledge is becoming increasingly niche and you're going to have to love it so my three key tips are You've got to love what you're doing. I mean, you've really got to lo- be be motivated by getting doing the masters and, in, and being involved in academia. And you've got to love the area you're working in. In terms of, you've got to have a passion for the project because it is really difficult looking at a blank piece of paper, thinking, right, I need to write about this, and it's kind of overwhelming. Um, my next of major tip is keep it smaller. Whatever the project you thought you were going to do, make it smaller. And then when you think you've made it smaller, go away and half it. And then maybe that project could be shrunk down just to make it fit. I think everybody that went through the journey on our, my intake for the year that I've just been through, we all had great plans for our papers. And we all were wisely encouraged to reduce the scope, if not the ambition, 
of what we did. And I think most of us got to the other end of that process being really grateful we made, sort of took that advice and made the made the approach and the, the sort of the subject that bit smaller um and even then when i look back at my own work i think crikey if i only knew what i knew now i would have made the might made the ambition of the project smaller still uh it just you think fifteen thousand words is an awful lot of space to um and a lot of words to fill when you start writing it i found it was a real battle to cover all the parts I needed to cover in that space. The third and final tip is have a plan, bite-sized pieces. You know, what is the overall project got to look like? Where are the chapters? Okay, within that chapter, what are the key things I need to cover off? And break it into bite-sized pieces because then you can say, right, this weekend I'm going to write that piece of the bite-sized piece and it is a journey of small steps and having a process. Have that process and, and and trust in following it. You haven't got to beat yourself up. You've got another fourteen and a half thousand words to go. The important thing is you wrote those five hundred words, and that was it. I that'd be my three key things. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Adam, for your time today, uh, sharing your insights. Uh, I, I I've taken a lot from it and uh, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been great sharing it. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.